together. So let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, your light that shines into us. We thank you, God, that you reveal, you bring truth, you bring understanding, that you deliver, that you make us whole. And so, God, tonight I pray that the light of your word would shine into us. And I pray for those things to happen for us to be set free and at liberty. And I pray that we'd be uh, healed and made whole. I ask you, God, to move tonight. I pray that we would have really an open heart and open mind to receive what you want to say, but also to receive your ministry tonight, to receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to receive, God, what you want to do in us, how you want to change us, how you want to challenge us, what you want to show us. God, we give you thanks for an opportunity to meet with you, the God of the universe, an opportunity to hear from you, God of the universe. We thank you for being here in our midst, for we've gathered in the name of Jesus. We ask these things. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to 1 Samuel 7.10. 1 Samuel 7.10 And in the history of Israel, what's happened is that we have passed through the time, at least mostly the time of the judges uh, that uh, we've been going through the last few weeks as we've been going through our Bible study. And so we've come to Samuel, who is a prophet certified prophet, had a paper and everything, says stamped of approval as a prophet. And so he had uh, been brought up in the house of Eli, who was a priest. And so he had learned the ways of worship. He had learned the ways of sacrifice. He had learned the ways of obedience, at least the ceremonial law. And so he understood that and he knew it. But he also was one that heard from God. And so he was somebody that would prophesy and was uh, so accurate. He was uh, such a, he heard from God so clearly that the Bible says that none of his words fell to the ground. So whatever he would prophesy went about doing what it was supposed to do. Whatever he would prophesy would hit the mark and would be exactly what needed to be said. And so that was how he was known. He was known as a prophet whose words, none of his words ever fell to the ground. So uh, we have to think about Samuel in those terms, that he was in some ways a priest, and in other ways he was a prophet. 
And so he held a lot of respect uh, within Israel. Uh, people looked to him as a leader. They looked to him to give them direction. They looked to him as a spiritual leader, somebody to lead them in worship, somebody to lead them in the sacrifices. But they also looked to him as somebody to go to for help and for wisdom. And so if they needed somebody to pray for them, an intercessor, they were going to go to Samuel. And if they needed to ask a question about how something worked or, or, or a dispute that was going on, they would go to Samuel. So Samuel was, in a lot of ways, as much as he could be as a priest and a prophet, he was also a leader in Israel. He was uh, the de facto leader for them. And so he had a lot of influence. He had a lot of power. Uh, it wasn't really power that was just ascribed to him. It was power that he had actually earned. And it was authority that he had actually earned and not just been given. And that, that's really important. Because uh, there's two kinds, if you, if you don't know this, there's two kinds of authority in the world we live in. And one type of authority is ascribed authority. And that would be like uh, policemen or teachers, at least somewhat. Uh, but say policemen, they have ascribed authority. So in other words, you see a policeman, and you're speeding, let's say you're on the highway, and you're going 90 miles an hour, and you see a New York State trooper on the side of the road. Likely, what are you going to do? Slow down quickly. And the reason is, is because you don't know who that trooper is. I mean, probably. You probably don't know his name. You probably don't know where he's from. You probably don't have any idea about what kind of family he has. You don't know anything about him. You don't know how old he is. You don't know anything. But you know one thing, that he is a New York State trooper. And what do New York State troopers do? They'll give you a ticket, all right, because they're going to slow you down some. So uh, he is to uphold the law, which the speed limit is the law, so he will pull you over and give you a ticket. So you just know that. He has ascribed authority. That's what ascribed authority is. Um, on the other hand of that, though, if you think about, uh, and, and this is something that you may want to think about when it comes to authority. Hi, welcome. No, no. Uh, there's an AA meeting going on uh, if you go through the parking lot. There's a church building right there. Yeah. Go to the side door on Judson Street. There's a side door, and it'll be, as you go up the sidewalk, the side door will be on your right. You go in there, and it'll be in there. It's just right across. You'll see the church building right there. Yeah, just right out the parking lot. And so the idea is... The idea is that if uh, if, if a, a person has ascribed authority, that that's real authority in the sense that, you know, for example, we'll slow down. Or, for example, if you know a policeman's behind you and you're driving, what are you likely to do? You go to the speed limit, use your signals, and drive correctly. All right? That's what you're likely to do. And, and that's how ascribed authority is. When someone has ascribed authority you tend to perform when they're there. But what do you do when they're not there? Whatever you want, right. 
And that's evident whenever you drive and you see what people do. <laughs> when there's no police or any kind of authority around, they just do whatever they want. Well, that's how a scribe authority works. And so take a teacher, for example. A, a teacher, and maybe I'm just old-fashioned this way, because uh, maybe it doesn't work this way anymore, but the way it used to work with me, when the teacher was there, we would behave one way, but if the teacher left the room, like let's say the principal came to the door and said, excuse me, Ms. Bunce, may I speak with you for a moment? And Ms. Bunce stepped into the hallway and, and walked out of the classroom. Well, there's no telling what might have happened when Ms. Bunce left the classroom because she's no longer there. And so some minor form of mayhem may happen in the classroom because she's not there. Is this the way it works in South Africa? It's kind of universal, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it's kind of the same. That's the way it was, you know, then. So it's kind of the same now. So, but a, a teacher has a, has ascribed authority. Um, and, and, there, and, and that has been, for most of its existence, also the structure of the church is that the, the, whoever was running the church, the pastor, the priest, the minister, whatever they're called in that church, would have a certain amount of ascribed authority. So, in other words, whenever people would be around the minister, the pastor, the priest, they would act a certain way. But then when the minister, the pastor, the priest wasn't around, then what would people do? Whatever they wanted, right. And so, uh, for example, I still meet people that they find out what I do for a living. They find out what I am here. And and so if they happen, doesn't matter what the context is, doesn't matter. It could be in their context. All right. For example, went down for some training uh, with a guy who was special forces guy, right? Uh, and he's training people in all kinds of hand to hand, uh, small arms, all kinds of stuff. Things that special forces guys do. This is totally his world. Totally his world. Right? His people around him, his world. He's up lecturing everybody that's there that's paying good money to be there. He's lecturing people about, you know, you know how to figure out which is your dominant eye and all this other stuff. And he, he's talking to people about situational awareness and all these other topics that are totally his topics. But he knows what I do for a living because they know what all the people in the place do. All right, and they vetted most of the people that were there. And so he's talking, 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 and all of a sudden he drops the F-bomb in the middle of the sentence. First thing he does, first thing he does is look right at me and say, sorry, I don't usually talk like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what do you say to that? It's like, uh, it's okay, proceed. You know what I mean? This is your world, buddy. Seriously. But that's the attitude. And I, and I took that, I just told that, because it's such an extreme example. I want you to understand how deep this is in us. All right? How deep this is in people. Is that, is that there's this ascribed authority that is normally given to certain positions in our society. And, so, and people take it really seriously. And it's deep within them to do that. Well, part of our philosophy here 
is that we're not really that interested in ascribed authority in this place that you're sitting right now. We're just not really that interested in it. What we're looking for is authority that's earned. That's what we're really looking for. We're looking to actually earn the right to speak into people's lives. To actually earn the right to correct, to admonish, to encourage. We're actually looking for the right to, to speak something that needs to be said. Actually looking for the right for, for people to not only hear us, but listen and be willing to weigh our words seriously. That's what we're working toward. And those two things are different. They're very different. And, and one is much easier to achieve. Because one, like in a scribe story, you graduate from the police academy and you wear a uniform. You go to teacher school, you graduate from teacher school, and, and you get introduced in front of the class as the teacher the first day of class. I mean, done. There, but living your life in such a way that people will actually give you a place in their life that matters, that people will actually listen to you, that people will actually, that you've earned the right to speak into people's lives. Now that's something that takes time and consistency and effort. But that's what we're going for. And so when you look at somebody like Samuel, I want you to see him that way. That there wasn't really an official position that he had because no one had ever been like him, really. I mean, Moses was sort of like that, but Moses was the ascribed leader of Israel. Samuel, as growing up in the, in, in the place of worship, growing up with Eli, I mean... Once Eli was gone and once his sons were gone, I guess he was it. And so he took over the duties and he began to lead that portion of it. But as a prophet, as somebody that, that God was using by his word, um, where does that fit in? Where, you know, where, where does that come into things? Because even as you go through the Old Testament, you begin to see the rise of individuals that would be prophets, as individuals that would prophesy, like Elijah and Elisha. And there would have be schools of prophets, and, and they would have a certain amount of authority wherever they went. But they certainly weren't the king. I mean, Elijah, he, Ahab was king. Jezebel was the queen when, when Elijah came on the scene. And he was willing to stand up for God, but he was also somebody that would hide in a cave because Ahab was threatening his life. And he knew that. And so there was, there was this give and take with, with any of these positions. And, and Samuel was somebody, though, and I want you to understand this, Samuel was somebody that had taken the time, made the effort, and done the work to earn the people's respect and to earn the authority that he had. And so he did. And so what you see here is a situation where, if, if you look at 1 Samuel 7.10, would somebody read that, please? While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered 
Yeah. So the Philistines uh, were invading Israel. And what had happened was is that the Philistines weren't really very excited about Israel gathering to worship. Because that's what was going on. Israel gathered. There was a, a meeting that was taking place. And they were coming and they were going to worship. There was going to be sacrifices. And there was a, a, what you might consider like a, a nationalism that was happening. A, a, a rally of the Israelites that was happening that the Philistines didn't like. Because the Philistines knew that if the Israelites all got together and they all got a common vision, they all began to, to go the same way and do the same thing and listen to the, the same person and move together and really begin to work together, that they were going to defeat the Philistines. And the Philistines knew that. And so Israel and factions, that was fine. Israel and individual tribes and doing their individual things, that was fine to the Philistines because the Philistines could beat any given tribe, any one of them. Any faction of them, the Philistines could beat. But when they gathered together and they began to talk a common talk about a common future, they began to talk about working together to ensure that future, and, and, and this is how it was manifesting, they began to worship together. And worshiping together is the beginning of common vision. And that's what they began to do. One of the things we were praying for during our prayer emphasis this month is common vision. That's one thing that I've, I've prayed that every time I was at a prayer meeting, any time that I had an opportunity during this, this month and during the time of fasting, I was praying for common vision for us. And God showed me a bunch of stuff about common vision that I never really thought of before. Because to me, common vision was always something that was built. It was like a, uh, it was like a building where you had a foundation, where we all, we all had a foundation of values, we had a foundation of priorities, we had a foundation of belief. And then on that foundation, we could take and lay brick by brick a vision that all of us could buy into. That's the way I always saw it. And over the past several years, God has taken and, and instructed me to take my hand off of that process. Because I was heavy into that process for the first you know, 10, 15 years that the, the church is here. Maybe the first 20 years that the church is here. But over the last few years... I've just been taking my hands off that under his direction because I believe what he's doing is building a common vision that he's building, that he's doing. And I, and I think that the way that that happens and the way that that's going to work for us is that as we worship together, as we pray together, that those are the moments and those are the times where God begins to lay that vision into us, begins to open our eyes to what he is doing so that we can rally around Him. That's what I want to see. That's what I want to believe. And as weird as that sounds, and as, as weirdly mystical or supernatural as that sounds, I just believe it's possible. Because I've seen God do things like that. You know, back when I didn't know anything about anything, I saw God do things like that. Back before I had ever had any learnings about this stuff, God was doing stuff like that. Back when I was 19, 20 years old, leading groups of people, as a new believer leading groups of people, I saw God do things like that. 
And so I'm just believing he's going to do that again. And so the, the people were gathering to worship. Samuel was there. They did all gather where Samuel was. He's there. And, and he's leading them in worship. How did they worship? Well, they sang, they played instruments, and they sacrificed animals. That's how they worshiped. Okay, we don't exactly worship that way here. We might pet an animal, but we don't sacrifice an animal. We don't, it's not really part of our worship thing. So, so what happened was, so the people had gathered for this, and the Philistines said, all right, well, they heard about this, of course, and they just said, well, we're going to attack them when they gather. We're going to attack them. Because Samuel had called the people to repentance. That's what he did. He said, what you need to do is change your ways. Because they had started getting little idols, you know, little pocket idols you can carry with you wherever you go. You walk around with your idol, and if you break it, you make a new one. You know what I'm talking about, right? The little thing. That's what they had. And so they were worshiping the little idols, and, and so Samuel's like, well, we've got to stop that. you got to stop that. That needs to end. And so he called them to repentance, and he said, come and worship the real God. And there they went. And they were gathering to worship the real God, repenting and moving toward that. Now, I want you to think about how strategic this attack is. Just think about it. How strategic is that attack? I mean, I didn't say the Philistines were stupid. They might have been pagans, but they weren't stupid. All right? And they understood that if Israel rallied around a common vision, they were done. And so they said, all right, when they get together... We're going to attack them, strategically. Now, apply this to your spiritual life. Apply it directly to your spiritual life. God calls you to change in your life. He calls you to repentance. And by repentance, that that word just means to take a 180 degree turn and go a different direction in your life. So, there's something in your life, God calls you, He says, alright, this needs to change, or He reveals that, or somebody, or however it happens in your life. So you make a decision, I'm going to live differently. I'm going to do something differently. So you make a decision, and then you start out on that path. And you might be worshiping and praying, and everything's good for about a day. And then what happens? What happens after a day or two? Hmm? You get attacked. Why? Why is that strategic? Does that make sense to you? Right? If you are factioned, like like fractured in your thinking, you're fractured in your actions, you're fractured in your response to God, as Israel was fractured in the land, you're easier to defeat. All of us are that way. That's why a double-minded person is weak in all their ways. And so what God calls us to is a singleness of purpose and heart. That's what He calls us to. He calls us to a singleness of vision. One thing, a purity. And so when we respond to that, there's something powerful about that. We begin to worship in that, and we begin to to really lay that before God, and we begin to walk in it. There's something really powerful about that. We become stronger, and as we become stronger, the enemy sees that 
and strategically attacks that because he wants us weaker. A weaker person is easier to defeat. A weaker church is easier to defeat. And remember, the only thing the devil has to do to defeat us, to defeat you, is to get you to do nothing. Understand that. He doesn't have to make you into a devil worshiper to win. He doesn't have to make you into you know, a witch in order to win. You don't have to become a Satanist for him to win. All you have to do is nothing. Just go to sleep. You go to sleep, he's won. Because doing nothing for the kingdom is buying time. And he's short on time. So what he wants to do is make us ineffectual, individually and corporately. Just like he was looking to make them ineffectual in defending themselves and in conquering their enemies. That's what he was doing. And so they attacked, they came near, very strategically, it was during a sacrifice, and the sacrifice was in preparation for some worship and for some prayer. That was what was going on. Samuel was doing the sacrifice. He was making the sacrifice for that. And so the people begged Samuel. They said, intercede for us. Would you pray for us? Because they saw, and you'd have to see the picture of this, the, <clears throat> the Philistines gathering in order to marshal their forces within eyesight of the people. They could see them coming. And so they saw this, this, this army gathering and coming into whatever formation they might have, they saw it all taking place. And so they went to Samuel, they said, I know we're here and whatever they were doing, but they realized they were about to get attacked. And so they went to Samuel and said, would you pray for us? Would you pray for us? Because, you know, when we start change, when we start responding to God, God expects Satan may muster his forces against you. And I'm not trying to be too dramatic. I'm just saying that's how it goes. Don't be surprised at that. Don't be surprised if things get harder because you're trying to respond to God and see change in your life. Things are going to get harder. Yeah, don't get shocked by that. Because that, that's when you got to push through. That's that moment. That's that moment in, in our spiritual life. That's that moment in our physical life where that happens. That's that moment in just about every circumstance in life where that happens. That things just get harder when it comes time to change, when it comes time to move, when it comes time to do something, things get harder. That is not a surprise. And so as the devil sets his plans against us, his purpose is to oppose us and to discourage us. To discourage us. And so there's Jesus. Why did, why did Jesus appear? To destroy what? The works of the devil. That gives you a big why about Jesus. 
He's a big why about his life, his ministry. And I mean, he came for other reasons, but that's a pretty big reason that he came. He came to destroy the works of the devil. So he did. And so it was through, and we understand what happened. I'm not going to go through everything to do with this, but Jesus had given himself. It was part of the plan, part of the purpose from the very beginning of time that Jesus would come. Part of the purpose from the very beginning of time that he would be arrested. Part of the purpose from the beginning of time that he would be put on trial, that he would be convicted, and that he would be beaten, and that he would be scourged, and that all of these things, he'd be mocked, and all these things would happen, and then he'd be put on a cross, and he would die on a cross as a criminal. And after he died on a cross, he'd be laid in a grave, and then he'd rise from the dead. That's what was going to happen. A sacrifice had to be made had to be made so Jesus made the sacrifice he made the sacrifice then the Bible tells us and that sacrifice is once and for all that's why we don't sacrifice animals he made the sacrifice why we pet our animals it's good or eat them one or the other Pet the cute ones, eat the ugly ones. All right. Okay. Yeah. So he arose, he ascended, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing now? He intercedes. Right. So here you have a situation. You have a situation where you've got the enemy marshalling their forces, getting ready to attack. You got the people seeing it. You got Samuel made sacrifice. And what they say, what they ask him to do? Intercede. Right. So so Samuel intercedes. And he received a gracious answer. How did God answer Samuel? With a loud thunder, a big thunderclap, boom! Right, we don't know what accompanied that. Maybe lightning, you know, somewhere. Because if there's thunder, there's lightning, right? So there's probably some lightning somewhere, right? Who knows? Don't know how that happened. Don't know what happened. That's just what happened. But the Bible tells us that it thundered loudly loudly does that shake any of you up when you when just out of nowhere there's a big thunderclap that maybe shakes the house a little bit right that's a little shaky (laughs) boom okay let's look up a couple verses uh somebody look at exodus exodus 1919 exodus 1919 and somebody else psalm 99 6 Psalm 99.6. Exodus 19.19. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. All right. So in in Exodus 19.19, what's in the thunder? What's the significance of the thunder? God's voice. Right. 
So the voice of the Lord is coming through the thunderclap. Right? His voice is in the thunder. He is answering in the thunder. That's what's happening. So how does He answer? Softly this time or very loudly? That's how He answered. So it was a gracious answer. How about Psalm 99.6? All right, and so that says Samuel called on the Lord, and what does the Lord do? He answers him. All right, so God speaks loudly here in answer to the prayer of Samuel. That's what he does. And in the New Testament, there's a passage in the New Testament. I didn't look it up, but somebody can if you if you got some way to do it right now. But there's a passage in the New Testament where God speaks from heaven. He's speaking. And and those that heard it, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, it says, and some said that it thundered. So this is not an uncommon occurrence where God speaks and people hear a loud thunder. Now, it's not every time. God spoke to Elijah in a gentle whisper. God spoke to Abraham. God spoke to a lot of people in ways that weren't loud thunderclaps. But he did speak this way. He does speak this way. Both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God speaks this way. And so he graciously answers the the prayer of Samuel. And what happens is, is the Philistines, according to this passage, the Philistines are put into a panic because of it. Now, it doesn't say exactly why they're put into the panic, but they're put into a panic because the God of the Israelites answered. The God of the Israelites broke forth in this huge thunderclap, and who knows about the lightning? No idea. So, while Samuel's praying... God answers in the thunder, and the Philistines are sent into a panic. Now, that's one of those things that, that's a word picture in the Bible. What that describes, the scene that that's describing, is a word picture. And here's the word picture that that's describing. Discomfited. Anybody know what that is? It means that they're confused in a panic and disturbed. Confused, what just happened? In a panic, we got to get out of here. And disturbed. Hmm. That's what was happening. And so the Bible says that they fled. And here's part of the word picture. The word picture is this. It's something that one cannot recover quickly from. It's a disaster. That's what's being described here. And so what happened was when God spoke, the thunderclap, the Philistines were sent into such a panic, into such confusion, into such disturbance in them, it was a disaster over them. A disaster. And it's something that they didn't recover quickly from when, in fact, 
historically, it took them 20 years. 20 years after this, Israel was at peace and was independent. 20 years. So when that word picture describes that, that disturbance, that disaster that happened there, something you can't recover quickly from, that was a 20-year disaster for the Philistines that happened right there. 20 years. So what does that tell us about our spiritual life? What are you looking for in your spiritual life? If if I'm drawing parallels between this, and I am trying to draw parallels if you're following, hopefully, you're following what I'm saying? You know, God says, okay, calls you to repentance, calls you to change, calls you to, to do something different in your life. And so you're like, all right, yeah, yeah, God, I'll do that. And so you make a decision, you turn around, you start heading in another direction. All of a sudden, the enemy comes. And he's, he does come. Again, this is not surprising. This is not something, it's part of his strategy. It's a known strategy of the enemy that when you begin to change, when you become, become more in line with God's will and God's purposes for your life, you, become, you come into unity with what God wants and what God has for you. And you're starting to get your life back into that place with Him, you're going to get attacked. That's the way it works. Things get harder. It just gets harder right then. And so don't be surprised when it gets harder. Like, oh, well, I didn't know. I didn't expect all this. Well, expect it. Expect it. Learn the lesson and understand this, is that that's what happens. So, all right, so it happens. So the armies have gathered. They're on the ridge. They're overlooking your position. You're trying to worship. You're trying to do what needs to get done. And you see these armies. You see the attack, the beginning of the attacks coming your way. What's the first thing you need to do? Cry out. You have an intercessor. His name is Jesus. He's better than Samuel. He is a better intercessor, and he's closer to the Father than Samuel was. Understand that. You have an intercessor. Cry out. Cry out to your intercessor and say, pray for me. Look at this. Look at the armies. Look at the the, the forces against me. Look at the things that are coming against me. That's your strategy. They got their strategy. You got your strategy. Your strategy is I'm going to call out to my intercessor. Pray for me. Because God, His Father, whom he He lives always to make intercession for you, that's what the Bible says about Jesus right now. He's living always to make intercession for you. So cry out to Him. Make intercession for me. Look, I'm getting attacked. And don't, do not, and I, I just don't want to hear you say things like this. Well, well, He already knows. Oh, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. He knows everything. He knows everything. So you should never talk to Him. You should never spend any time with Him. He already knows. No, we're living our life minute to minute, day to day, hour to hour. Part of that that living is interacting with Him and letting Him know where we're at and letting Him know what's going on. That whole thing about, oh, He already knows, I don't need to do it. No, 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 and no. That theology has been more harmful 
and more life-killing in the church than just about anything else has come through. Do not do that. We must, if we're going to live, if we're really going to live, we must believe that we can affect the things around us and we can affect the God that we serve through our prayers, through our worship. And if you don't believe that, then what you do is half-hearted and you're probably just wasting your time. Letting you know. We have to believe we can have an effect. We have to believe that what we do means something. We have to be able to believe that, that, that our efforts and our worship and our, all that we do is meaningful in this. And I want you to think about that. Think about where you stand on that. And so the enemy comes. Cry out. You have an intercessor. He's awesome. He's the best intercessor ever. And he lives just to do it. He's more than happy to do that. But point it out. Say, oh, I got, look what's coming. I need your help. I need your help. We need your deliverance. Let him speak. Expect him to speak. Expect him to, to, to come to your aid, because he does. Listen for that voice. Sometimes he might even speak through you. He might even give you the word to speak. He might even give you a word of prophecy to prophesy over the situation. He might give you a word of the Scripture that turns into that rhema living word to speak into that situation. Who knows how he's going to do it? But cry out and see what happens. See how it works. See what comes forth. See what manifests. See what kind of power might be released there. And who knows, maybe it'll even just thunder. Maybe it'll even just thunder. I mean, I, I, I've had literally been praying with somebody else and had an earthquake happen in the middle of a prayer. Fredonia, New York, man. We don't get too many earthquakes out there. But that day it did. It was the morning. I don't know what time it was, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. Sitting there praying with somebody. The whole place shook. I was sitting out in my car one time at North Med right down the road from my house, off Buckley Road. I was sitting in my car, and I was praying, and all of a sudden I felt like my whole car was shaking. I looked up to see if there was some big piece of equipment rolling by. Nothing. There's an earthquake. I'm not saying it's because of that. I'm just saying stuff happens, man. Let it happen. Let it happen. And I'm willing to accept that God does supernatural stuff. So, so maybe it'll thunder. Maybe you'll get a word. Maybe it'll be something that you can speak, something you can shout, something that you can sing. Whatever. Let it happen. Let the supernatural set yourself up through the intercessor that's ready to pray with you for something supernatural to take place. To send the enemy into disarray. To send the enemy into confusion. Send the enemy into a panic, into a disturbance, into a disaster. I want to see him in disaster. And those of you that he's made a disaster out of your life, isn't it time to turn the tables? See some disaster in his ranks? Isn't it time to turn the tables to see some disaster the other way? Instead of you just taking the disaster and living in the disaster? 
Isn't it time to, to, to take that, send it back? I think so. I believe so. If you're willing. Because so far I really haven't really talked to you much about any special gift or any special talent you need, have I? Well, these people, they're just coming back from idol worship. They were just coming back to worship for the first time and get together. They didn't have any special talent. They weren't super spiritual people. They weren't a people that, that, that had it together at all. In fact, they were being called to start getting it back together, and they were on the defensive because they are about to get attacked. I'm not looking for, for anybody to rise up as some kind of a spiritual giant. What I'm asking and telling you to do, you see the, the forces coming against you because you're trying to make some change in your life. What did I tell you to do? What are we doing? Cry out. Cry out to your intercessor. Ask him to pray for you. Do that. And just be open. See what happens. See what happens. That's all. And so, after they... they after the disaster, they they recognize that the hand of God, all right, the, the people of Israel saw the camp of the Philistines in disaster. You know, God only knows what that looks like. Mass hysteria, cats and dogs living together. I mean, what does that look like? I don't know. But something happened that they could see, and so they recognized the hand of God was on the situation. And it says they rushed, this is the idea we have, they rushed courageously now <laughs> on their foes. So when the tide turned, they're like, get them, right, get them. But they weren't going to say, get them from the get-go. Something had to change, something had to turn, they had to see something happen, and something did happen. There, there was a thunder from heaven, and, and they saw everything get into disarray on the other side. They looked at it and said, this is our chance, go, get aggressive. Then you get aggressive. Once you see the disagree, once you see the, the, the hand of God on something, then you can get aggressive. So they caught the people, the Philistines, and it's a well, they, good, good old-fashioned word. But they do, they smote them. <laughs> they, S-M-O-T-E, smote them. No, no, no. It means they killed them. Yeah, yeah. Dead. They killed them dead. Yeah. So, like I said, this was a disaster that came upon the Philistines that they didn't recover from for 20 years. 20 years. That's a long time to be victorious. But... If you've ever overcome something in your life and you're still overcoming it, you know what I'm talking about. Something you struggled with, something that you fought, something that was just a, a, a weak point that just you, you couldn't get past it, you couldn't get past it, and then one day, one day, as, as you cried out to your intercessor and God spoke or God did something or however it happened, that was it. That was it. And there's things in my life I can point to that that was it. And they've never come up again in the last 15 years, 10 years, 20 years, 25 years. Ever. Ever. 
Because we experience this in our lives. We see this in our lives. If we will. If we will. We have a great intercessor. We really do. Better than Samuel. Samuel's awesome. I mean, right? He's good, right? Yeah. You know, and anytime you think, well, you know, I wish I, you know, maybe Samuel's around today, we could get something done. We have a better intercessor. <laughs> He's better. He's a better prophet. He's a better priest. And he's actually a king. And he's our intercessor. He's better in every way. And so, if we will cry out to him, and I mean really cry out to him with our heart, like cry out to him, he lives always to make intercession for us. That's part of his purpose right now in life. And what he's doing is to make intercession for us. So you're, you're, you're crying out right into his wheelhouse. That's what he does. And, and we can expect and know his intercession when we cry out. And so I'm going to encourage you to do that. And I'm encouraging you to do that before you try any of your own smarts ideas. I want to encourage you to do that before you try to stand up in your own big-time strength. I want, I want to encourage you to do that before you try to fight with your own little fists. And I want to encourage you to do that before uh, you try to figure it out and all that. I just I want to encourage you to do that right away. Just cry out to the intercessor. Cry out to Jesus. And, and let's let's see him move. But see him move. And and to me, that's where victory comes from. To me, that's how victory happens. We put it into the hands of the one that we know is victorious. And then we see what happens. I wouldn't mind hearing a loud thunder. You know, we get together for some church, you know, get a little worship going. Boom! It might be scary at first, but how cool is that? Right? How cool is that? So, all I can encourage you to is that. Because I know there's victory there. I'm sick of seeing people just getting run over all the time. Just sick of it. And I can keep chastising you about pride and I can keep chastising you about um just just trusting God or I can keep chastising you about a lot of things, but the reality of it is is that we have a loving, loving intercessor that we can cry out to and I guess I'm just gonna encourage you to do that. Because I know there's victory there. And let's see what happens. I'm going to take a few minutes to pray. Anybody want to say anything? Or you have any questions or anything? Alright. I'll take a few minutes to pray. And uh, just encourage you. There might, Maybe there's some areas where you need to cry out. Do it. Maybe there's some areas where you, you need to let go and take your hand off some stuff and put it in the hands of Jesus. Do it. Do it.
Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that your care is all over us. And we thank you, Jesus, that you're always living to make intercession for us, and so we thank you for that. God, I I ask you that we would have a first response already set in our heart, in our mind, our spirit. We have a first response to cry out to you, a first response to go to our intercessor and cry out, and whatever's happening around us is happening. I pray, God, that we would do that first and foremost and that, God, whatever would follow after that would be orchestrated and led by you. Because, God, I thank you that you are victorious, that you are powerful, that all authority has been given you in heaven and in earth. I thank you that you are king, you are Lord, and I thank you that you are a friend. And so we call on you as our friend we call on you as our intercessor. So God, I pray that tonight some people here would cry out to you. I do, I pray. I encourage that. And I pray just a, a move of your spirit to release people from pride or to release people from fear or to release people from worry or to release people from bad ideas or whatever it is so that they could cry out to you. Because, Lord, I, I want to, I, I really, I believe you that we're going to see more victory. I believe you that we're going to see people overcoming more and more and more. I believe you that we're going to see people growing more, maturing more, manifesting your love and your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness more. Not living in stress and worry more, but living in peace and rest in life more and more. That's what we cry out for, God. That's what we cry out for. Thank you that you are Lord over our enemies. We trust you with that. Thank you for your patience, your long-suffering, and your love toward us. We rest in that. We give you thanks tonight. give you honor and we give you praise. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. 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 UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the community that. I'll say a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997, 
That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah. 